Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone that's uh, here with us today. Um, Richard Slayton is back with us. We're very excited to have him with us. And uh, again, as you know, this is the Morning with Joel CRE podcast. So we're very excited to have you with us today. Very special guest, Richard Slayton. We have called him back for a second time. And uh, Richard, we want to thank you for that and for agreeing to come back on. And uh, I got to be honest, man, it's almost like you're becoming the godfather. You know, we had uh, <laughs> we had the president of, of Bank of America in Atlanta, you know, the, the city president. Like every question was like, ask Richard, ask Richard, ask Richard. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Al and I worked together a long time. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's a good guy. Good guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Man, he's young, a young cat, too. So, you know, very, very uh, happy to see that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, I'll be with him in about an hour and a half. Okay, all right. Well, tell him I said what's up. I will. So, like I said, it's it's exciting to have you back. Um, you know, one reason why we we wanted to have you back is, uh, unfortunately, the last time you were here, your mother had just passed. Yes. And uh, so, you know, we cut the show short on on account of that. And so, uh, you know, how how have you been uh, adjusting to that? Has everything been going okay with the family and everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 still a a, a daily uh, process, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's been literally it was eight months to the day, August seventeenth, and so, you know, my brother and I was just actually at over at her house Saturday because we 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 just now got to the place where we can start going through her things. Mm-hmm. So so it's, so it's still a process. I mean, you know, we better than we were, you know, eight months ago, but we we getting there. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. You know, it was actually shortly after that I actually lost my pops earlier this year. And um I'm you know, sorry. I, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that. And so, you know, sharing that pain as well, you know, I, I certainly can understand that. So, you know, we're back at work, we're trying to make things happen and uh, you know, appreciate you getting back with us. Mm-hmm. So very good. So I know last time, um, you know, we actually let's do this just for the sake of, you know, we we have Thousands of people that are, are watching these shows. I can say that literally now because we just hit another milestone, the, the podcast here. You know, what, what's your position? What's your role? And and who are you for all those who don't know? And why do I call you the Godfather? Why is everybody <laughs> trying to talk to you? <laughs> so well, what's that all about? <laughs> all right. So my name is Richard Slayton. I am a native Atlantan. Work for Bank of America in the Community Development Bank. I serve as Senior Vice President, where I provide the debt and equity capital for the purposes of developing affordable housing. In addition to that, I am on the business school faculty at Morehouse College, where I teach real estate finance and uh, investment finance. In addition to that, I am a CCIM instructor, where I teach the uh, 101 financial analysis for commercial real estate investment course. And also the uh, we have a low income housing tax credit course through the Ward Center that I teach as well. And uh, next year I'll be picking up 102. So that's that's a little bit about me. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I guess you know a little something about commercial real estate, huh? Right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, no, that's 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 great. And I know um, 
you know, your history has been pretty extensive too. Uh, yeah. You know, your time with Martin and everything else. And I, I didn't realize and forgot that actually you had worked for, um, I don't even think I did forget. I don't know if I remember that you worked for Integral at uh, yeah. one point in time. Yes, that's that's actually where I learned affordable housing and real estate development. Uh, I worked there for about four years and, and you know, worked with the great team there. And they're all still there, actually. And, and I still call on them. They're friends of mine. And, you know, they all took me under their wing and taught me real estate development. So for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, fantastic. So great to have you back. You know, as I mentioned, and um, you certainly have a wealth of knowledge. So we appreciate you sharing that with us today. You know, one of the things that we kind of picked up on when we were talking uh, with Al the other day was about the fact that Bank of America has committed, I want to say $1.2 billion or some figure very close to that. Yeah, $1.25 uh, billion, yes. $1.25 okay, toward, well, you tell me, what, what's, what's this commitment all about? What is it? And, you know, well, I'll let you explain that. Yeah, so so basically, Bank of America has committed $1.25 billion to be dealt with over the next five years. And, and it's basically about racial equality and diversity and, and the areas that the bank are focused on are health, jobs and skills training, affordable housing, and small business. So, the, so those, those are the four, four areas of focus uh, for the bank and the, the $1.25 billion commitment. Um, I think last week it was announced that I think we Four, I can't remember how many local nonprofits here, but uh, they received uh, funding of about $1.2 million last week. So uh, I actually, you know, I had the pleasure of working with Al and the and the and the team on that entire grant process. So I think that, like I said, that was announced last week. But that's a part of that $1.25 billion commitment. And I and it's interesting because uh, you know, with last week with the grant announcements. It was heavily focused on small business and affordable housing. That that's kind of where the bulk of the of the funds went to. But, you know, and like I say, the bank is is very very dedicated to that. So we're trying to you know make sure we get these funds out to the entities and to the organizations and people that that uh, that we can help the most. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. So. Explain that a little bit more because you did mention grants. So was that money that just went to the nonprofits that were grants or did some of it go to for-profit institutions as well, as long as they were focused on affordable housing? Well, as, as long as, they, you know, as long as they're focused on affordable housing, it could take that shape. But, but you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, with, with how the funds are deployed, I, you know, I think it is kind of based upon the situation and the circumstances. So, you know, it could come in as a grant in some forms of fashion, if it makes sense, or it could come in as a low interest loan, if it makes some, you know, sense in some way, or it could, you know, come in as, as some type of hybrid kind of equity position. So, so I, I, it really just depends on the, on the situation. So, so even with that $1.25 billion, I mean, you know, it's really the bank getting to know who the entities are that are looking to receive those funds and, and, you know, kind of see what their goals and objectives are and what their needs are. Then, you know, from there, we can kind of come up with a tailor-made, you know, solution just for that organization. Okay. All right. So that's interesting. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, it kind of fills that equity stack, possibly mm-hmm. either as meds or it could be preferred equity or it could right. be a grant right? or anything like that from what you're saying. 
Yeah. Um, is that a situation where Bank of America re would require that they issue the debt as well? Or uh, and, and more and more more often, let me say it like this, Joe. We would like to have the entire relationship. Ideally, yeah, we would like to have the have the debt as well. Because what the bank ultimately wants to do is, you know, establish the entire relationship with, with, with an entity, not just, you know, give them a grant or provide them a loan or, you know, it's, re it's really about looking at the business as a whole and, and identifying the needs of the business. How can we partner with the business to, to help it grow? And so, you know, what that means is we'll bring the entire bank to bear. So whether that be the treasury platform, whether that be, like you said, that con the construction loan platform in the case of affordable housing, whether it be grants, we want to bring that entire relationship to the client in order to help them. Okay, okay, <clears throat> that's um, that's quite interesting. So, in, in the case of affordability, are we talking about the project has to be one hundred percent affordable, or a percentage affordable, or does it depend on the size of the project or the size of the uh, the whole capital stack, or, or what? Well, so so we talk about affordability, uh, and I, I, that's a great question, Joe, because because I think it, affordability means different things to different people. Right. When we're looking at affordability, basically what we're looking at is if the let, let's just use an example. We have a hundred unit apartment complex, mm -hmm. right? And so let's say if we have fifty percent of the units at I don't know, call it fifty percent of the area median income. And then we have the other 50% at 80% of, of area median income. Mm -hmm. You know, that blended, that blended AMI is about 60% area median income. So that that's kind of where the bank's sweet spot is as it relates to affordable housing. And if you look at what the area median income here in Atlanta is, I want to say it's about $92,000, $93,000 a year. So, so if if you if you're looking at families making you know sixty percent of that you know which is around mid fifties to mm -hmm. sixty thousand dollars a year, so you know you're really talking about your, you know your teachers, your firemen, your policemen, that could easily fall under the definition of of uh, what they call attainable housing or, or workforce housing, really. But this, but that that that's kind of where the bank focus is. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that's that's. Because you know this is, as well as I do, the, the challenge always is, you know, you got this sweet piece of property, it's in yep. the urban core, you know, in the CBD, right? Yeah. The cost of the dirt is so expensive that you almost have to be above market. So, yep. you know, and that's why I was asking that question, because if, if you're at, I believe you said, you were given an example of a whole development, 100% of it being at uh huh. 50% AMI. I think that's what yeah. you, you mentioned, right? Yeah. yeah. So, right. So, a, a project like that could be a little difficult in, in an urban setting, as you know. But if you're stepping maybe into an area that needs um, improvement, I don't want to specify any streets and everybody go running over there. Mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but there are certain neighborhoods that you know where you might be able to get cheaper dirt and, and make yeah. those numbers pencil. Well, so I I that would be the issue. Yeah, I think so. And and I'll tell you the way I, I've seen these deals work. 
And it's directly to your point, Joe, mm -hmm. you know, but because land costs can be so high that it makes an affordable housing project, you know, not feasible. You know, what, I, what I've seen happen is, you know, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a, a, a housing authority or some type of government agency that owns land or something like that, or, you know, it could even be a, a, a private owner. But the way I've seen it done is they'll enter into long-term ground leases. And so basically those long-term ground leases, you know, it, it helps the bank because the bank's comfortable with that. And so that kind of defrays that land costs conversation, right? Because mm -hmm. now, now you're dealing with the ground lease payment as opposed to a, you know, straight out sale. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but so when you do that and then, you know, you get the allocation of the federal and state low-income housing tax credits, which further, you know, kind of helps with that capital stack. And the last piece of it really is a construction loan. It's, it's a construction loan and a perm loan takeout. And so, you know, because the, you know, let, let, let's say if we look at a, I don't know, call it a 4% bond deal. Like, so, so what I'm about to say is you have, you have two, you have two rounds of low-income housing tax credits. You have the 4% uh, bond deals, which is considered not so competitive, mm -hmm. but then you have the competitive 9% low-income housing tax credits round. Mm -hmm. So typically with the 4% bond deals, that low-income housing tax credit piece kind of take, takes care of about 30 to 40% of your equity, mm -hmm. right? And then you have the and then you have the ground lease in there. So you so you 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 probably have a, a perm debt of somewhere around, you know, 56% loan to cost. So so that's what makes those deals work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I think the first thing that you said kind of was news to me about the bank being comfortable with a ground lease. Yeah. Because there's a lot of institutions that are not, but that works really well in serious in areas where you're trying to do a public-private partnership. Yep. You've got the uh, municipality that's willing to kick in the land. They're not going to sell it to you, but they'll build ground lease. That's uh, right. You know, you see a ton of those up in D.C. and, and places like that. So, you know, that, that actually works. Mm. So, that's, so that's interesting as to how that would all pencil together. I was wondering if you were going to mention LIHTC being part of it because you still kind of need that to bridge that gap. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's an integral part of it, the low-income housing tax credits. I mean, you know, I, I think without those, it'd be tough to, to get them done. Yeah, yeah. Hard to make them pencil without that. So that makes yeah. good sense. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. What what size? Um, you know, and obviously Bank of America can do any size deal. I, I get that, but from a uh, equity standpoint, how big of a equity check or what range of equity check is the bank interested in writing, especially with this initiative that they have? Mm -hmm. Because Rich, you know this as well. Yeah. Trying to get equity below $5 million or $10 million would be very difficult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the typical affordable housing deal, the equity piece normally comes up to anywhere between 10 to $20 million, mm -hmm. give, give or take. And, and, and so, you know, with those deals, too, now, you, you know, when, when the bank is, is, is placing equity, in those deals, they they in effect become the limited partner, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as a result of that, with those tax credits, that there is a a fifteen year uh, compliance period. So that means the banks with you the whole step of the way. So you know we have to 
make sure the project is performing to uh, Department of Community Affairs standards. We got to make sure, you know, the financial reporting is solid, you know, during that time period. But but that's, you know, that that's what what happens when when the bank puts that equity and they become that limited partner. And, you know, like I say, anywhere between 10, 20 million on, you know, on average. Okay. All right. So that's generally what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to get involved in any deals that are not affordable? We're actually looking at that, uh, Joe. And so, you know, primarily it's all about the low income housing tax credit play. Right. But but we know that that program, you know, probably needs some modernization over, you know, over the near term. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at, you know, how, how to go about financing an affordable housing deal, you know, that doesn't involve low-income housing tax credits. I mean, you know, that 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 that's kind of where we are, kind of going through that process to see how we can actually make it work. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And um, and as regards these uh, the the grants that you were talking about, what size are those generally? Uh, you see going out the door. Well, the ones that we did last week, you know, they they were ranging anywhere from. I want to say twenty five thousand up to maybe a hundred, give or take something like that. And 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 those grants are typically for is for kind of assisting with technical assistance. Is is you know helping with short term working capital. Is those kinds of things. But you know those grants we normally have what two rounds of those. Okay. So, so that that happens twice a year. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's a cycle that's involved with that. Mm-hmm. Understand that. And generally on that that equity side, what's the y'all normally looking at from a equity sponsor participation side of it? You mm-hmm. know, ninety ten or ninety five five. Well, I, I well from was from from the from the affordable housing, the low income housing tax credit standpoint, we're putting up basically all of the equity with the exception of the land. For the most part, oh, okay. You know, as we move toward this uh, 1.25 billion dollar commitment, I think we're 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 still trying to work through that. And I think Joe, that's on a case by case basis. I have seen it 90 10. I've also seen it 80 20. I think it it all depends on the the sponsor and the deal itself. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense. It all mm-hmm. depends on that. So, all right. Well, this is this is good information. I didn't really plan on getting these. Just deep in the woods with you, but uh, I couldn't resist. <laughs> and that, and that, 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 that's quite all right. And, and uh, I, I knew after you talked to Al, I said, Al probably going to have him hit me with some of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would have just, you know, after the call, I would have just said, hey, let me let me get rid of the call and ask these detailed questions. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. But for everybody's benefit, this is good. So, um, and you know, it's important because, um, you know, one thing, and, and I got to say even myself, a lot of times you look at these, you know, mega banks and the feeling is, you know, they're not going to participate in nothing that I got going on or they're too big or they only want to deal with the, the Carter and the holders of the world and, yeah. you know, those type of companies. So to know that Bank of America is basically saying, hey, you know, we're we're willing to, um, I don't want to say lower our standards. That's not the right word. Nah. You know, open the door to to uh, emerging managers and, and that, that, yeah. And, and can, can I add something to that, Joe? Because you, you make a valuable point. Yeah. What what I would say is if you're if you if you have any ambition or are looking to get into development or especially affordable housing development, 
my recommendation would be build a relationship with a banker in that space long before you even have a deal. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, you, you, you build that relationship with that banker, you, you, you'll begin to understand what the underwriting criteria is, what do, what do the banks look for? How would they look at a certain type of deal? And so when, when you, when you do, you know, come across that deal and like you were saying, Joe, you, you, you get that dirt and, it, and you can make a pencil. Mm-hmm. Then you have a direct person to go to that that can that can run point for you internally to get it done. And, and I'm 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 a problem. I'm about to tell y'all what happens behind the scenes. So a lot of times, like in my role, for example, I'm on the I'm on conference calls with you know the credit execs and the risk partners and you know the internal team. And you know I'm advocating for deals. So it's it's not we just talking about something and and putting a stamp or not. I mean, more often than not, it comes down to someone advocating for the merits of the sponsor and the deal. Mm -hmm. And by building that relationship long before you have a deal helps that case that the part that people don't see go a long way and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that actually is a very, very good point. You know, I I think of a lot of the, um, you know, younger ones that are in the space and, Mm -hmm. And I was the same way. I mean, you want everything today, yeah. right? You want everything to happen today. But if, if you're, you know, 20 years old, you just don't have that track record of knowing people that long to have yeah. that relationship. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Right. And, and it, it just takes time. You know, you gotta you gotta take time to build that. And yeah. uh, and it, it it should come naturally, you know, it shouldn't be a, a foster arrangement either. So that's uh, that's what I think. You know, I remember a graduate school professor of mine said uh he said the greatest predictor of success is one's ability to delay gratification mm. you can do that be all right yeah yeah that's a real good way to put it so yeah. you're sharing that let me do this uh since so many people know you and we've got a lot of folks on the call here today uh we're going to go ahead and open up the line a little bit early we're about seven minutes earlier than we generally do but if you guys have some questions you know you can go ahead and put those in the chat and um you know, we will be more than happy to listen to those and to get those over to Richard and go from there. So uh, let's see, let me minimize this. So yeah, we'll get that going. All right, so with, with that being said, now let me ask you one other thing. I would assume that this strategy uh, related to affordable housing will work with, it's not just development, but it will also apply to uh, value-add plays. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's both uh, uh, new development and uh, acquisition rehab. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And what what unit count is the uh, Bank J going to be looking for? Is it more based on dollars as opposed to unit count? Yes, yeah, it's, it's more it's more on on the dollar value dollar value. So, you know, with, with an uh, acquisition rehab type play, I, I would you know I would tend to say, in my experience, those fall under that four percent non competitive round scenario. A good example of one is if you know where Capital View is over off Metropolitan, Columbia Residential Mm -hmm. did that deal. And I want to say the grand opening is going to be September 14th, I believe. But we financed that deal. So that deal was like 120 units. I want to, if I remember correctly, the acquisition rehab, you know, the total deal value was somewhere around 28, 30 million or something like that. You know that would be a great example of what a what a, a, a 
value play, as you as you said to it, Joe, would look like. It's that it's that Capital View deal that's on Metropolitan Parkway. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Now that sounds a little small. You know, when you were mentioning that the the average check you guys are looking for at ten to twenty million, mm-hmm. so I guess you will go a little bit smaller in a case like that. Well, that that was hundred and twenty units. Yeah, so so yeah, that that deal size was like I said, twenty eight million, give or take. It was kind of within within that zone. Okay, yeah, yeah, probably about ten million in equity, maybe somewhere in that range. Yeah, maybe ten million. I think. Well, it was actually, yeah, it was actually maybe if I remember correctly, fourteen million in equity. Yeah, and and then the rest was in debt. Okay, all right, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, let's see here. We've got uh, Uriah here every week. How you doing, man? And uh, if you're if you're not talking, please mute. So um, since we are recording, we appreciate that. Uriah wanted to ask, what are some of the high-level criteria for the grant process? There's an application that comes out, and I says come out twice a year. And the first thing we we want to do is is get you on that get you on that mailing list. So so if if you want to do that, send send me your contact information. And I'll make sure I get it over to you know the market president's office which is over there where al is mm-hmm. and make and make sure they put you on the on the list now the criteria would be you know if you're applying for a grant make sure that you'll be addressing issues around affordable housing around small business around health around you know economic mobility those would be the four criteria so Pick, you don't have to address all of them, but pick one. So, so as you're applying for the grant and completing that application, because that's when you get on that list, the market president's office will send you an application when they come out or send you a link to the application. So you can go on there and apply for it. But then you you just make sure as you're writing up the purpose of the grant, it falls into one of those four buckets. Okay, hopefully that, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. All right, here's another guy that most people don't know, Quinn Green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it going, sir? Quinn, Quinn is everywhere lately, man. Every time I pick up a I, I know, right? face, man. Good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What resources and relationships would you recommend an emerging affordable housing developer concentrate on pursuing establishing and get started in the game? That's a great question, Quinn. I, I think I think the first thing is you um, establish that relationship with the with the banker, and like I said, you know that's long before you even have a deal. I would also recommend if you have zero experience in affordable housing, get it and do it, and you can do it. In my opinion, one a couple of ways you can actually go work for an affordable housing developer, you know, to gain that experience to understand how it works, build those relationships with, you know, the Invest Atlantas, the Atlanta Beltline, the Department of Community Affairs. So another way I would recommend is if if you have site control of some dirt that's a viable uh, affordable housing option, you partner with one of those affordable housing developers. And now what, what, in a case like that, I'll just be honest, in a case like that, you'll probably give up the line, share your deal on the first one. But, you know, this is a marathon we run in and not a sprint. Mm-hmm. So so, you you know, you you get, you know, that couple of deals like that under your belt that gives you an opportunity to get the experience. And, you you know, you're in the ownership structure of the deal. 
And, you know, you, you'll get a chance to, you know, you'll, you'll make a little bit of money along the way. And then from that point, you can branch out on your own. So so emerging affordable housing developers, three things, build a relationship with a banker, either go work for an affordable housing developer to get that experience or get site control of some dirt and partner with an affordable housing developer. Those, those would be the three high level things, I would say, Quinn, as an emerging affordable housing developer. All right. Well, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a JC joining the line right now. So we'll, we'll let her join in on that. And Quinn, I got to blame you because uh, Richard had gone over that and uh, you got on late and asked that question after he had just answered it. So <laughs> I, I got I to give you that right cross because of that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's all good. All right. Any trade associations or groups that you would recommend becoming affiliated with? And joining, uh, obviously, we know who's going to come at the top of that list. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I, I would definitely say first the, the Georgia CSIM chapter. I mean, I think that's a that's a fantastic chapter. I think the Institute as a whole is fantastic. So I, I would say that I would say specific to affordable housing. I would say start, you know, there's a Georgia Affordable Housing Coalition. I would say join that coalition. I'm a member of it. And, and, and we actually meet every quarter. And so I'm on what we call the Qualified Allocation Plan Committee. And, and that, that Qualified Allocation Plan is what we call the, the Bible of affordable housing. Because if, if you, matter of fact, that would be something good to do. If you have time, go download the 2022 Georgia Qualified Allocation Plan. In that, it'll tell you all of the underwriting criteria that's needed to get a low-income housing tax credit award. So, so I'm on that committee where we, you know, work through that every every year because it's updated every year. We look at it and see if we need to make it make any changes to it. We, you know, we lobby at the lobby government, you know, in terms of what changes needed to be made. So, so the Georgia Affordable Housing Coalition would be one. I would say get involved with uh, House ATL, which is a which is another you know entity with, which which is within the city of Atlanta, and that's the entity that's highly focused on on affordable housing. So I, I would say those organizations and and get to know the other players like the you know now Atlanta Neighborhood Development Partnership people and, and get to know the, you know, get to know the the developers around. So I, I think that'll, that, that'll help. And I think over there with Sinead, uh, HDDC, I mean, they, they broke ground on a, on a, on a project over on Auburn Avenue, which is fantastic. So I would say, you know, getting involved with, with people like that, uh, and that, that will, you know, help with kind of strengthening that, that affordable housing acumen and, and build those relationships. Okay. All right. That sounds good. So it kind of goes back to the fundamentals. You know, it's, it's about who you know and yep. trying to build those relationships. And uh, I appreciate the, the point you made earlier, just to kind of reiterate this, is the ability and the benefit of having somebody behind the curtain that advocates for you yep. you know, inside the company yep. you know, so that you're not just trying to push it all from the outside. Because, uh, you know, as well as I do, a lot of these deals can be dead even before you find out about it on the outside, because the people on the inside are like, this ain't going nowhere. That, that's right. That That's absolutely right. And I'll tell you, that's that's the piece that people don't typically see. Yeah. But but that's the piece that's the most critical, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, because you got to have somebody on the inside 
that can advocate for, you know, for your deal, for you, and, and basically talk about the merits of it. And, and that, to me, that's that's where the relationship piece come in, because it's not, if you have a, a relationship with someone, it's, it's not something that you have to rehearse, you know, or you have to come up with, you know, some sound bites, if you will. I mean, if you have a genuine relationship with your banker and your banker has a genuine one with you, it's it's easy to step into those meetings and advocate because because you know them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll take it even a, a step further than that. A lot of times with a good relationship, that advocate on the inside can tell you how to structure the deal in order to get it through. You know, exactly. this is what underwriting is looking for. This is the, the way this needs to be presented. This is what the returns need to be. And yep. boy, you can save a ton of time by just having that insight, that intel. You know, I'm telling you, it's, it's valuable. You know, that's 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 the gospel I preach, Joe. Especially <laughs> with the banker. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very, very good point. Very good point. Let me ask this also. Um, there's been a lot of attention given lately to uh, the life science space. Is Bank of America doing anything in that space? And uh, does it tie in at all with the $1.25 billion that the bank is allocated? I know that might be a little separate from your yeah. affordable housing space. But do you know anything yeah. about that? Well, I, yeah, I've, I've heard about it, and the bank is taking a look at it, uh, life science. And, and I, I would also kind of put that in the spin of that might fall more under what we call environment social governance, that ESG, ESG yeah. acronym. So, so, so it might be more over in that way, but but the bank has not uh, had any direct involvement to date, Joe, but I do know that there, there have been conversations internally and, and, you know, you'll probably see something over the next year or so come out about that. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> yeah, I know one thing about banking is uh, they generally want to see where others have had success. Exactly. And they see it, it's like, hey, well, you know, then let's get down, you know, with that. Yeah, so, yeah. You, know, you, know, you know, banks are risk adverse. You know, they, yeah. they're not going to they're not gonna go in first now. They, right. they, they want to see how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Is that it was that same thing with these uh, what do they call these micro units that that are you know starting to make headway? Yeah, the concept's great, but a lot of banks, including myself, to be candid, we're trying to see how it's going to work. You know, we look at it, we think it's interesting, but you know, we, we want to see how it works before we before we jump into it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you bring that out. We got a, a deal like that on our desk right now. And, um, you know, it's it, if you talk to the sponsor, oh, there's tremendous demand. Everybody wants it. Yeah. Right? And you're saying, okay, you know, we got COVID, we got these other things. You know, there was a big uh, shared space deal that we had looked at in LA. Uh huh. You know, it was kind of a, a similar thing. And obviously, when COVID broke out, that, that just kind of crushed that. You know, what, what's your thought? Just, you know, you're seeing it. And I can understand a bank being uh, adverse, but since we have a deal like that on our desk right now, I'm actually curious as to your perception on it. You know, what, what do you think is the bank's hesitancy in looking at a micro unit uh, type deal? Well, yeah. by the way, in, in an urban core. Yeah. So, so, so the major, the major issue that the banks are trying to understand is how is the common areas treated. So, with those micro units, if I understand it, is like each unit, you have a bedroom and each unit has its own bathroom, but the common areas are the living room and the kitchen, stuff like that. And so I, I really think it's more of a, you know, psychological, how do we, 
how do we get over not looking at this like a Roman house, if you will? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is how do we how do we actually finance it? You, you, you know, that can 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 you get insurance on it if you know stuff like that? So so it's it's really not now I tell you, I've seen it done though. Mm-hmm. It, it's done in places like Seattle, Washington, where I've seen it done in it, and it was pretty successful. Mm-hmm. And so actually what I've been trying to do, Joel, is find out who financed that deal in Seattle, because I'll tell you, it, it, it's not none of the it's not the major banks that did that. It's probably a smaller regional bank in that area of the country. And so what I what I'm trying to do is re- find out who that banker is and just talk to him about. You know, how did they get comfortable with it? How did they underwrite it from a risk standpoint? You know, from a cash flow standpoint, how, you know, how did it look? I would say it, I think it's going to make its way to to this market, Joe. I, I just think right now, you know, most of the banks and I'm talking about, you know, us, the Wells, the JP Morgans, all of them, you know, we just try to figure out how does it work and is it can we see it be successful in this market? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the million dollar question, right? That's the million dollar question. Yep. <laughs> Try to see how to how to figure it out. Now, Quentin Scott back with us here. He said, uh, if you could dig in a little bit deeper, how would you find affordable housing developer to partner with? You know, I would think some of that is through those networking groups that you were talking about. But what would yep. you say to that? Yeah. Listen, with, with, with the Georgia Affordable Housing Conference, mm-hmm. it's typically in Savannah every September and every affordable housing developer on the East Coast is there, all of them, you know, all the affordable housing developers, all of the government officials, all of the bankers, everybody's in one place and we're there for about two and a half days. Uh, so so that, that would be a great place to meet affordable housing developers. Also, you can actually go out to uh, Georgia DCA of Georgia Department of Community Affairs website. And especially, I think now would be a good time to do it because they're they're taking applications for the 4% bond round, which is due in October. Mm-hmm. And they publish a list of developers that applied, uh, they had a project and that applied for those 4% deals that would be a great way to find out who those developers are in this market as well. Okay. Very good point. Very good point. So appreciate that. And and that conference will probably be a, a good one to attend because obviously Savannah is not too far away. So it'd be a nice little break to get, a, get away and get down there. So yep. bring that out. Let me do this also because we, we've been focused on affordable housing. And for those who joined us late, um, we're talking about the $1.25 billion that uh, Bank of America has committed toward mm-hmm. emerging managers, developers, and and people that are. Uh, give me that again, Richie. You said small business, small business. What were the others? Yeah, small business, affordable housing, healthcare, economic mobility. Okay, all right, gotcha, gotcha. So when you talk about economic mobility, what would be a sample 
uh, situational client in, in that space. So we're talking about the scooters that you've seen around the street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, man. <laughs> uh, no, so, no, so, no, I don't want to talk about that. You said but I'm just playing. But, you know. nah. <laughs> but, but so, so we use the term uh, economic mobility. It's, it's basically you're a small business and, you know, you need some technical assistance to kind of help your business grow or you need to have have more operating capital, you know, because you, you, you see an opportunity for your business to grow or if you need to expand your space or you need to lo- find an additional space because you, your business has gotten to the point that you can support a second or third location. So that, that's what we mean by economic mobility. So uh, taking a small business, looking at ways to help it grow, basically. Okay, all right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and actually that um that makes a lot of sense because one thing I, I remember, I, I don't know where I was at on a panel or somewhere, but the things that you did as a business to make it to let's say a million in revenue is not going to be the same thing to take you to 10 million. Exactly. You restructure that business altogether. That's and if right. you from 10 to 100 million, you got to restructure it again. That's right. In order to make that leap. So so this capital actually comes into play with that. So mm-hmm. that's very good. And then you mentioned about healthcare. I would think life science would play into that dramatically, but you said you haven't done any life science deals at all. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there would be a symbiotic uh, relationship between those two uh, areas of investment. Yeah, I, I agree, John. And 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 I I do think uh, it it'll it'll get to that place once once we go through all this vetting and having internal conversations about it. And I think it'll it'll probably land you know right there. But you're right. I mean, life sciences. I mean, it is it is a a relative of of health because it falls under that you know broad umbrella, so so I, so I do think at some point it it, it will kind of align you know from an internal banking perspective it will align with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So sounds good. Now for the, the sake of our audience, we had a um, a tax credit podcast that we did probably about a year, year and a half ago, probably about a year and a half ago, just to get more in the in the weeds on that because most people don't understand what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have multiple tax credits, right? You got new market tax credits, you have YTech, you have these others. So if you can explain that a little bit, what's the difference between a 4%, 9%? Yeah, yes. just some of those details for the sake of our audience, if you don't mind. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. So when you hear the word LIHTC, what it is, is the low-income housing tax credit. Mm-hmm. The low-income housing tax credit has can take two forms. It can take the 9% competitive form and basically what that means is, you know, you, you submit an application to the, the, the uh, Department of Community Affairs and the competitive round is, is literally what that word means, competitive. So it's a scoring process. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that qualified allocation plan, you know, it really gives you details on how you can maximize the scoring on your deal. Like, for example, if you had, if you were offering uh, resident services at your at your development, so you know whether that be the same stuff we're talking about with the 1.25 billion, you know the job training, the daycare, you know stuff like that, that gives you additional points. If you're if you're partnering with a municipality, you know that gets you more points. So so you you go through that process with the nine percent round, and if your application is selected. 
you know, just from a mathematical standpoint, with the 9%, the reason is competitive because those tax credits typically represent about 70% of your capital stack. So, so just think about that for a minute. If, if you win a 9% deal, 70% of your capital is coming from the tax credit. So that means you only need 30% of debt or other funds. That's, that's why it's competitive. All right. So then we have the 4%. We call it non-competitive. And I'm doing my hands like that for a reason, because now it's, it's, starting to have some merit of being competitive, but just not to the same level as the 9%. But but with the 4%, you know, it's typically, I'm going to say somewhat competitive. Mm-hmm. But but with, with those deals, it's, it's more or less the 4% typically means bonds. So, so you're, you're awarded tax-exempt bonds to your, your project. And typically, Invest Atlanta basically issues those bonds to a project. And if you are awarded bonds to the 4% project, those tax credits automatically come with it. So that's why we say it's non-competitive. And so what, what I've seen is typically your larger deals typically use the bond 4% credit platform as opposed to the as opposed to the 9%. And so with those tax exempt bonds, you know, the way the bank play a role in it, you know, we'll basically credit enhance the bonds. And, you know, we we do have the ability to be the to buy those bonds as well as buying the credits, or it can be like a private placement where you have other investors in the bonds, but then we have a trustee to administer those bonds. I mean, it, it does get complex, but the 4% deal is, is like I say, non-competitive. If you have site controls, I would say if you're doing a 4% deal, you know, you're typically looking at greater than a hundred units or more, you know, hundred, 200, 300 unit type deals. The 9% you're probably looking at anywhere between 50 to a hundred in terms of unit size. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, that's the low-income housing tax credit piece of it. Then you have the new market tax credits. New market tax credits operate like low-income housing tax credits with the major difference is new markets are used for basically commercial space in you know, underserved markets or it's used for for sale housing, affordable housing, right? So, so the low income housing tax credit piece is typically for your rental affordable housing. You can use new market tax credits for commercial and or for sale affordable housing. So that, that's the main difference between the two. And then you also have, you know, what we call historic tax credits as well, because that, that's in my group also. Okay. And so, so basically historic tax credits, they are typically uh, awarded to deals and, and they're typically of a rehab nature, as you talked about earlier, Joe. Mm-hmm. And, and the building itself may have some historical significance. And so what, what we want to try to do is preserve that historical significance and what we'll do is we'll issue, you know, historic tax credits on the on that project. You know, the bank, we, we've done it over in Grant Park. 
We've actually worked with, you know, a lot of these inst- institutions like the Trust for Public Land, for example, and, and you know, we've done those kinds of deals. So tax credit, th- those are the three primary ones. You have the low-income housing tax credit, you have the new markets tax credits, and you have the historic tax credits. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, those are the primary ones. You've got conservation tax credits as well, yeah. and yep. film tax credits, and it just goes on and on and on. So, it does, it does. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Let's see here. Well, let, let me round out this just to make sure that everyone got that information. So you mentioned the 9% tax credit generally covers about 70% of the uh, uh, equity or cash needed in particular getting a deal done. Uh, 4%, what percent of uh, deals do you see that normally cover? It, covers, it, it typically covers about 30 to 40% of the capital needed. Right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to think if there's any other tax credit questions, I think they're pretty much covered it. But that's a that's an area where a lot of people get confused is understanding how those tax credits work. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to bring that up. Also, uh, a lot of times in certain certain situations, these tax credits are also stackable. So uh, you might be able to use them uh, yep. multiple tax credits on deals. So yeah. Uh, okay, let's see here. Will Smith had a question regarding the affordable housing class you teach. How can we attend the class or is it part of a CCM candidate curriculum? Yeah, so so the low-income housing tax credit course that I teach, yeah, it is through CCIM, and I do it virtually. Let's see, we've had one in March, we had one in June, and we have one more coming up in October. So so you could probably go out there to the CCIM website now and, and just uh, click on the courses, and you'll see the low-income housing tax credit course, and it's actually taught by myself and a gentleman by the name of Jeff Engelstadt. So we actually walk through the process of putting together a low-income housing tax credit deal. All right, sounds good. Appreciate that. And uh, hopefully, Will, that answers your question. And then, um, Quinn, curious to hear the perspective on the 20,000 new affordable housing unit goal that the mayor of Atlanta has during this term. Is it realistic, feasible, and what has to happen in terms of path to succeed to reach that goal? So, I, well, the question there, but a good question. Very that's good. a great, that's a, that's yeah, a great question. And, and the answer is, I, I do think it's feasible, and I do think it's attainable. I, I, but I do think the the challenges would be making sure everybody's on the same page. And when I say everybody, you know, it, we all understand that affordable housing is an issue, uh, both you know. From stakeholders, you know, perspective from banking, from government, we all understand this issue. But I do think we all have to get on the same page to be able to address it. I think I think we're all trying to address it. We all have the best intentions, but I think to some degree we're operating in silos. But I think once we get to a point where we're all collaborating together, I think I think that that's when it can be addressed. And I do also think we need to uh, make, you know, make sure we have a united front when we're talking to the Department of Community Affairs about what this goal is, because, I mean, we can have that goal and it can be, you know, a great one. It can, you know, we can kind of have a plan. But guess what? If DCA is oversubscribed on the on the bonds and they, they can't issue any more bonds or you know, their backlog, you know, on, on the tax credit side. I mean, so it has to be a concerted effort by everybody. So that, that was a long way to say 
Yeah, I think it's attainable. I think we could do it. But the key is going to be making sure all stakeholders are looking at it the same way. Yeah, very, very good answer. What, what is the city of Atlanta doing in regard to help contribute toward that goal? Um, are they, you know, contributing land? Are they doing this through Invest Atlanta? Are they doing it through another provision? You know, how, how is this all coming together from the city's perspective? What are they kicking in? Well, I, you know, what, what they're trying to do is, you know, that's what House ATL is about, uh, to try to help address, you know, that that's going to be the, the mechanism used okay. to try to address it. I'm actually on the advisory board of House ATL, and you're, you're right, Invest Atlanta plays a role in that. Atlanta Housing, you know, plays a role in that, and it, you know, because Atlanta Housing owns a significant amount of land yeah. in and around Atlanta that, that's perfect for affordable housing. Uh, you know, the city has also, you know, come out with this program to work with churches that have excess land, you know, for the purposes of, of uh, developing affordable housing. So they're, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to go at it from, you know, from different perspectives. And, and you know, I, I, I think I think they're doing a good job. And I think, it, like I say, if everybody can get on the same page. I think we'd be, we'd be wildly successful. All right. Sounds good. So how many years is this? Um supposed to happen in, in what time frame i should say well we're at 22 by 2026 okay all right so tight window yep yep so you know everybody's trying to get you know get it done now all right all right well hey i mean we, we've got the information we've got the access to capital which is what this is all about you know b of a can, can help with the access of capital and we we've got uh someone that if you've got a tight team will Vouch for us behind the curtains. Richard. Absolutely. That's, that's the name of the game. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's a beautiful thing. Well, Rich, we're kind of uh, at the end of our, our window here. we got about three minutes left. But, um, you know, what would you say is the uh, that, that you would like to see as a result of all these initiatives? You know, the bank has a ton of money they're trying to get out there on the street. The mm-hmm. city has this housing initiative. What would you like this to all look like, you know, a few years from now? Let's say four years from now, 2026. I want to see uh, people of uh, of color in a, a, a better financial position, and I'm talking about from a network perspective, because that that that's that's really what it's about. When you talk about racial equality and 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 you know things like that, it it really comes down to let's let let's see what we can do to you know not only have a an equitable quality of life, but also have a growing network as well. So that, that's what I want to see happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's that's a, a very good point because, um, you know, I, I've given a lot of seminars over the years about generational wealth and creating a family bank and there's simple fundamental things that, that a lot of minorities just miss out on. Yeah. And if you think about it, there's two times in life where people get chunks of money and that's the death of a loved one through insurance and owning real estate. Yep. That's generally it. You know, hit the lottery, right? But other than that, that's pretty much it. That's right. right. That's so right. If, if you could just start with those fundamentals, you can really start moving your, your household forward uh, generationally. So that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So it's not that complicated. And um, you know, but along the way you need a good banker like Richard. There, there you go. That, <laughs> that that's what I'm here for. There you go. There you go. Absolutely, absolutely. So well, hey, man, this has been fantastic. The team has asked me to do this. I'm going to try to find a better way to do this. But 
If you've enjoyed watching this podcast, we ask you to subscribe or click the like button below. Um, I'm sure there'll be one below. And then there's something else I'm supposed to say. Uh, oh, uh, share this with, uh, actually, where's my, I always screw this up because I don't do this for this, right? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't do it for the publicity. But um, anyway, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends and um, do whatever else needs to be done to keep keep us on the air. So we appreciate that. <laughs> so, but, um, but Richard, hey, I appreciate it. You know, like I said, I, I do this because I enjoy having these conversations. Uh, this is just something that, that's wonderful for me. And um, I certainly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights. Uh, I see why now you are the godfather for, uh, for the city of Atlanta. So we appreciate all your, your valuable insights. And uh, we'll let you have the final words. Anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up for the day? Hey, I, I just want to thank you all for being here. And Joel, I want to thank you and your team for having me on. I know the first time we did it, you know, mentally, honestly, I was in a, in a different place. So I, I really wasn't uh, able to share my best with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful uh, and humbled that you allowed me to come back to do it. And so so I hope it was it was helpful. And uh, just know that I'm here as a resource for you guys if you ever need anything. All right. No, I greatly appreciate that. I, I think it was fantastic. I'm sure all of our guests today, um, you know, viewed it as a fantastic uh, podcast as well. And uh, Rich, you know, look forward to working with you, man. I look forward to working with you too. Everybody take care. Have a great week. Yep, absolutely. See you guys. Have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to write a brief review. And as always, continue to invite, share, and subscribe.